going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. Coach, are you feeling like your teachers are just not interested in your support? Have you struggled to get into classrooms and impact positive change? Do your teachers turn the other way when they see you coming and put you off over and over again when you offer to visit their classrooms? So many coaches face these problems and they all revolve around one thing, the culture of coaching. If your school doesn't have a coaching culture, it can feel like you're bending over backwards to please everyone while actually accomplishing nothing. This summer, my favorite annual event, the Simply Coaching Summit, is all about building a coaching culture at your school. This online conference for instructional coaches is on July 11th, 12th, and 13th, and it will give you everything you need to change your school one step at a time. The summit is three days of keynotes, live workshops, pre-recorded sessions, and live meetups. I'm giving a keynote about how getting curious can change the culture of your school, but there is so much more to the summit that you have to see it for yourself. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com summit to save your spot. The best part is that you have six months to watch the videos. So if your summer plans didn't include some cozy PD at home on the couch, you can watch them when you're back to school. See you at the summit 2022. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, and welcome to episode 109. Today, we are talking about all the different opportunities for professional development or professional learning that are available to you as a coach to provide to your teachers. I want to make sure before we even get started that we distinguish this from a coaching cycle. We're going to have a whole month about coaching cycles later this season, um, but this month is all about learning for all through professional development and, and professional learning. So coaching cycles are an opportunity to provide professional development and learning and their job embedded training and they're excellent, but that's just not what we're talking about today. Today, we're looking at how to provide workshops, training, book studies, and other learning opportunities to a small or large group of teachers. Okay, so that's our, our big focus. So first, we're going to start with the obvious. We're going to look at whole school in-service. So there are pros to whole school in-service and cons, right? So the idea is that um, everybody is in the same room. Usually it's like a full day or a half day. And it's usually the most commonly known form of sharing ideas with teachers. It's, so it's a big group. You've identified an area of need on your campus. 
you maybe did this through teacher input. Maybe you did top-down input. Maybe you did some observations and kind of put that together. And then you've created a training or a workshop to support teachers in learning about that concept is usually what's happening here. This works for things that all of your grade levels or all of your teachers need exposure to, but it's not so great for tailored instruction unless you find an excellent way to differentiate it. So the pros of this sort of approach is that everybody is present and so they get the same message, which that is very important when you're starting something new and you want everybody to have the same understanding of it. Because even in the same room, different people will walk away with different understandings. But most definitely, if you're doing this in piecemeal and different people are presenting to different groups, they always walk away with a different message and that's not ideal. However, the con is exactly the same thing as the pro. So it's great that everybody's in the same room for certain reasons, but it's also terrible because <laughs> the issue is that everybody getting the same information is meaning, it means that it's not going to be tailored for somebody. So for example, if you've got a writing workshop with K-5 and it's a full group setting, some of your people are going to find it great. Some are gonna find it irrelevant. Some are going to feel like it wasn't tailored to their needs and it has, it has nothing to do with what they do on a daily basis. If you've got K-5 in one room, for example, you know somebody is not getting what they need during that session. So if you're giving teachers background on writing and best practices, for example, it might be possible to do that in this sort of a group. But for the most part, either K-1 or 4-5 is gonna feel like you're not talking to them. Another example is when you are talking to secondary teachers and you've got all of your content areas or maybe all your core content areas in the same room and you're talking about integrating, let's say writing across the curriculum. So you have your literacy teachers, your, your language arts teachers there, your English teachers, you have your reading intervention teachers, you've got your social studies, you've got all of, you know, that whole entire team of teachers is there, your whole math department's there, you've got everybody there in the same room and they're all looking at the same information and thinking either this won't work for me or I already do that or <laughs> you know how the, the, the mind races during these sessions. So it's super important whenever you're planning out workshops that involve so many diverse teachers in the same space that you are really thoughtful about what you're putting out there and what materials you are using. So my best tip for doing this is to differentiate your content somehow. Okay. And so, so this is a tip for making it work. I have actually done these kinds of workshops with groups of teachers. And one way that I make sure that everybody is getting something relevant out of it is I have to differentiate the resources. So let's say, this is an example that I, I have a workshop I did a few years ago, actually, that I can share with you. I did a K-5 workshop about writing and it was a private school. And that means that they did not have there was not very many teachers in each section. It was like one to two teachers in each section and it was a full day for everybody. And basically they were putting all the kids together in the gym and that's how they are providing coverage. It was a crazy day, but they needed to get as much information as they could in that time because they did not have the luxury of substitutes or anything like that. So I had to find a way to make it relevant. So what I did, and I do recommend doing things like this if, if you're in the same boat, which many people are, you do an overview of the principles of the concept whole group. Then whenever teachers start working on maybe what does it look like in their classroom, you differentiate at that point. So what I had is I put K1, I put pre-K and kinder together, and then I put uh, first, second together, 
And then I put third, fourth, fifth together because I had pre-K through fifth. And so I took the pre-K and kinder and I met with them uh, first and I did kind of a little teaching about specifically what it looks like. And then I gave them an article to read. And when they finished the article about pre-K writing that, and kinder writing, they had a little video to watch of a lesson in action. And they had their own little iPad there with a slideshow, questions for them to talk about in a team that all on their own. The other groups, while I was leading this discussion with pre-K and kinder, first and second were working on something similar. They had a little slideshow to go through. Third, fourth, and fifth were looking through books, trying to find examples of mentor texts. And then we just kind of rotated. So everybody had something that was relevant to them all of the time. And they were different. It was differentiated enough that they walked away with something from hopefully every minute of the day because wasting teachers' time is a terrible thing that we do all the time. Teachers have their time wasted on a you know daily basis. And that's just like the number one mistake that everybody makes with teachers. The other thing that I would recommend that you do is if you have a whole group setting, is to keep in mind that you are going to have teachers in there who are very distracted by being in the same room as a million other people at the same time. And they're, you know, people's brains work differently. And I did an episode actually on um, neurodivergent educators. And that's something to think about. Every, everybody doesn't function in the same way. It's not a big deal for me to tune people out. I can be in a room full of people doing my own thing. I can read an article and ignore everybody else. And, you know, that's actually, I'm very happy to do that. <laughs> Some of my favorite classes in college were the auditorium style classes with 500 other people. I went in, I did what I needed to do and I got out but not everybody functions that way. Some people are very distracted by this whole group setting. So what I really recommend is kind of in keeping with what I said earlier, keep as much of the instruction of the dialogue as you can in that small group. So if you have people talking about a specific concept, make sure you're giving them time to talk in their teams and it's not a whole group instruction and dialogue. That can be overwhelming and distracting and it doesn't give people time to process and to converse with their teams. And really talking to their teams is how they're going to figure out what it's going to look like in their classrooms. So build in that time for the small group work for those, you know, the team conversations and make sure that we're not doing everything whole group because a lot of people are going to miss out. The second opportunity I'm going to share with you today is after school PD. So after school professional development, again, has pros and cons. The good part about it is that it's, it's short and it's focused. You think, okay, I've got an hour. By the time everybody gets settled, I have about 50 minutes. Um, I'm going to focus on this one thing. The con is that it's after school. <laughs> Everybody is beat, okay? So it's best for little pieces of information. You're not going to want to do a whole introduction on a brand new thing. You're, you want to kind of do it in a series so teachers add to their toolbox week after week. So usually these after-school PDs are about an hour long. Um, in the school, the, one of the schools that I worked at, we had our learning Thursdays once a week on, you know, obviously Thursdays. And we generally rotated our content. So reading would go one week, then maybe math, ELL uh, support would go another week, writing, science, state required stuff was always coming down the pike. And so we kind of rotated through these, these different um, uh, sessions after school. So everybody made sure that their needs were met in each subject area. One time as a leadership team, we thought, what if we did a little mini lesson, something short, we modeled a lesson and then we gave teachers time to plan in response to that mini lesson. So they watch the mini lesson, they participate like students, and then they say, okay, where can I integrate something like this in my lessons? Okay, huge mistake. <laughs> teachers were like, oh, that was a nice mini lesson. And now it's 3.45, so let's talk and eat chocolate until four, and then we can all go home. <laughs> okay, 
That did not work. I'm not blaming anybody because I know exactly how fried my teacher brain was by the end of the day. You know, you've made 18,000 decisions. You've answered twice that many questions and you're just tired, but it was a fail and I don't recommend it. So I really recommend planning really engaging, you know, purposeful content, interactive activities, things that they can do quickly because if something takes too long, they're going to turn off. If it's too content heavy, they're going to turn off. Kind of focus on something over time and add to their repertoire. So a really great way to use this is to say you've had an introduction during a whole group PD. Maybe if you do um, a full day or a half day on introducing interactive notebooks, for example, then in the next few weeks, if you have one day after school, a week that you can do a workshop, a, a really short little session with them, you can dig back into one component. So this week, we're going to talk about the input side and we're going to do what are five different things that we can do that will help you um, know what to do on the input side of your interactive notebook. Next week, we're going to do outputs. The following week, we're going to talk about how you can do a science investigation using the input output format. Keep it really focused. I also recommend for these short workshops or short sessions that you name them with a number of things they're going to walk away with. So this I learned as a teacher, I can remember very vividly sitting in a session one time about, um, it was about small group instruction. And as I was sitting there, I was like, what is, I don't, okay. Because I felt like it was everything I had already done. Uh, they were talking about how to group your students based on your data and what kinds of, you know, intervention supports. And, and I was like, this doesn't feel like anything new to me. But then I looked at the title of the handout and it said, five strategies to use during your small group intervention. And I was like, oh, there's going to be five things that I could do. And then I listened for those five things. And that we do it with our students all the time, right? But that as a teacher was impactful to me because I was not the best student during PD. If I felt like it was not interesting enough, or if I felt like it was redundant and we'd seen the same thing every year, which we often have, and you know that that's the truth. Um, I kind of would like, I wouldn't shut down. I just would, wasn't happy and do all stuff, but I didn't do it with a good positive attitude. <laughs> so I have, I have patience for people like that. I totally get it. Um, but it really did help me to see that there was a certain number of things that I was going to get from that session. So if you say, you know, three strategies to use during numeracy, there, I know I'm walking away with three different things. And then you recap at the end. Okay, so remember, you can do this. You can do this with dice. You can do this with cards. You can do whatever. You know, you've, you've got your three strategies and they know exactly what it is. That is really helpful to teachers because they know what they're walking away with. And they know it at the beginning. They know it all throughout the, the middle. And then they, at the end, they walked away with these three things, okay? Um, so don't introduce brand new stuff. Just kind of keep working on a topic that you're already digging into and add to their understanding or to their experience or to the strategy bank that they have with that topic. That's that's my big tip. Choose that one focus and keep it upbeat. People are tired. People are exhausted at the end of the day. People might be grumpy. They've dealt with a lot of stuff. So keep the positivity, not the toxic positivity, but you know, have a positive outlook yourself and do your best to make it engaging and focused for teachers. The next thing that I'm going to share about, the last one really, is book studies. Okay, so book studies, I love, and they are hard to do right now. <laughs> and I'm just going to be honest about that. 
um, one of the sessions that I did um, for coffee and coaching was about how to do a book study virtually, because a lot of people were saying that they were doing all of these extra kinds of things virtually, even though they're still at school in person. So they're at school in person, but they're doing virtual support for teachers, which I totally understand. They're limiting, you know, contact, things like that. And you could still do a virtual book study, even once things go back to quote normal, um, you could still do it at that point and you can have um, your teachers participate online, you know, whenever they get home or whatever. So they're not feeling like they have to stay so late at the school day and, you know, trying to get everything accomplished. So it's helpful sometimes to be accommodating to your teachers in that way and give them a little bit of space to breathe at school. And then they are going to participate when they get home or whatever. They can participate anywhere for a virtual book study. Anyway, that's a sidebar. Book studies are great for learning a lot about one thing. Okay. So the pros are that it's a small group usually, and it's focused on this one thing and you're really going to dig in. The cons are that people have to have read and be ready to participate. And that can be really tricky to manage whenever you're talking about adults, right? <laughs> so I'm going to share with you a couple of different ways that I've done book studies. And then you can kind of take away if one of these might work for you and your teachers. So I really enjoyed book studies. I love doing them with teachers. It serves a small group of teachers who are interested in one specific topic, which I think it's great to dig in deeper. And there are a few different ways you can run them. There's an optional book study or a non-optional, which I don't want to say required, but that's pretty much what it means. It means that everybody's going to do it. One year as an optional book study for interested parties, we read Igniting a Passion for Reading. And then another year we read Whole Brain Teaching. Okay, so Igniting a Passion for Reading is by Stephen Lane. And he talks about like school-wide things that you can do or teacher level things that you can do to engage kids in building a culture of reading. Okay. And then another year we read Whole Brain Teaching. It was by Chris Biffle. So these were both optional book studies. We met once every two weeks for about an hour after school. And before the session, I'd have sent out an email with the pages that we'd read. Like, okay, remember, these are the pages that we read. Um, and I'd set a purpose for reading. This is what we were going to talk about whenever we visit again. And so it was really simple. I didn't want it to be too complicated. You know, mark one place you have a question about, mark one place you can see trying out in your classroom, and then we would meet and discuss. If I'd found a video related to the reading, like whole brain teaching, there's a million and one videos on YouTube of whole brain teaching, I might share it for a small part of our meeting to give us kind of a focal point to talk about. And that way, even if people didn't read, I mean, in an optional book study, how much accountability can you really do with teachers, you know? So even if people didn't read, we could at least talk about the video and then people who had read could contribute their thinking and people who didn't read could at least benefit from that dialogue. Once we got started and teachers were implementing components of what they learned from the book study, I could actually go to their classroom or they could send it to me and record short videos of the learning in action in their classroom. So it was really nice to say, okay, this teacher did this specific strategy from, um, igniting a passion for reading. They tried the, they tried some reading recommendation bookmarks. And so I'm going to go in take a little video of the kids, you know, checking out with their bookmarks or whatever, you know, that was a really great way to kind of feature what they were doing. Say, Hey, that's awesome. You implemented something and also share that idea with somebody else. So they could see what it looked like with real kids. People often struggle to envision what things will look like with real children. I don't know if you've had this experience, but Think about any workshop that you've done. There's very little implementation, okay? If you do a, a one and done workshop, very little of that gets 
implemented because teachers struggle to envision it. They struggle to remember it. They struggle to understand what it could look like in their classroom. It's a huge challenge. So the more opportunities you can give people to see what something looks like, the better. So if you can record some of that learning that has been implemented in the classroom and then share it with other teachers, that is a great way to make sure that teachers are actually getting the full benefit of that book study. And the nice stuff is you can even share it with other people who were not part of your book study. You know, it's a great way to say, hey, this is what we've been learning. Maybe you'd like to learn a little more and try it out. So I totally recommend doing that. I've also hosted non-optional book studies, or as you may call them, required book studies. Um, our kindergarten teachers one year had discussed some ideas for unifying their writing instruction because everybody was sort of doing their own thing and nobody felt really great about it. And so we read Already Ready by Katie Woodray. And we read that together. We met once every two weeks uh, during one of their PE times. They selected a day that would work for them. And, and that's whenever I met with them. So they would read the chapter. And then we discussed and planned out which ideas would work best for us. So out of this chapter, what did we take? What did you see that would really work well if you implement that in your own classroom? Have you tried any of these things? What was successful? And then I also was able to clarify certain questions because people who hadn't really had that sort of experience in writing wanted clarification about what that looks like. So I was able to clarify some of their questions and then share some writing samples and things like that. And I really loved meeting with Kinder and discussing this book. It is one of my best memories from being a campus coach was doing that book study together. I just got so much about it out of it. And it was a beautiful professional learning community. I think that's what I loved about it. So in addition to those small group book studies, I've hosted whole school book studies during our after school PD. So obviously in that case, I have to give people time to read during the session because in a whole school book study, you know, those people are not reading those books. Let's just be honest. <laughs> they did not opt in. It is not a small group to where anybody's even going to notice that they don't know what they're talking about. You have got to give them time to read during the session. Okay. So whenever we've done that, we say, okay, this is the book that we're going to read. And today I'm going to pull out this chapter. I'm just going to pull out the most essential elements that I want you to have. We're going to read these pages. You're going to read for this purpose and share your thinking in this way. And then at the end, you know, we'll be able to um, share our, our impact on our classroom, make a plan for how it's going to be rolled out in our, in our classroom and then move on with our lives, right? That's how we did it whole group. I also have done a summer book study on teach like a champion for interested teachers. So we talked about specific strategies that teachers could implement there and what that might look like. It's a lot of envisioning. What I have learned is that transferring learning from a book study to practice is about helping teachers envision what that's going to look like. You may actually check out an episode I did last season with Gretchen Bridgers about um, practice and how we can support practice in, in our work with teachers to help them implement things in the classroom. So whenever we are doing a coaching cycle, for example, or a book study or a PD at all, we can practice certain things that they are going to then implement. Teachers don't get time to practice. And if they don't orally rehearse on their own, they're not always prepared to do these things in the classroom and they get frozen and then they say it didn't work. So instead we build in the practice time. So that's one thing I would love for you to go check that episode out in uh, last season. It was really helpful. So tips for making a book study work. Have the dates plan out in advance. So everybody knows what they to mark off on their calendar. And it's not, not a secret every week. When are we going to meet? It's better if it's already on the calendar. Bring things that you have baked for teachers or treats 
people are, are, you know, teachers aren't really appreciated as they should be. And they feel appreciated when you think about them. So bring something special that you thought about to show that you thought about them and, and to show that you appreciate them and their participation. I gave teachers a copy of the book with a nice little welcome note, along with a fancy highlighter and some really cute post-its and little sticky notes um, tied to the front of their book with a ribbon. That wasn't that much. I didn't have to do much to do that. And it cost me a couple of dollars for, you know, for each person, if that, but it was something that showed I was excited. They were excited. They felt appreciated. So whenever you have all of this set up, you are showing teachers, there is a system to how we do this. This is a real deal. We're not just sitting in a room and, you know, staring at each other because we don't know what to say. You want to plan really purposefully for those book club, book study discussions. And that will help your teachers feel like it's a real sincere workshop or learning opportunity. Something I want to talk about is that whenever we do professional development, like I mentioned before, a lot of it does not transfer into teachers' classrooms. And that is for a lot of reasons. And one of them is the envisioning issue and the practice issue. Uh, what I want to say is that sometimes we, can, we don't know how to further the learning, right? And there are a couple of ways that we can do that. And one of them is through coaching cycles. So whenever you are working on a coaching cycle with a teacher and you are not sure where to go next, if you're stuck and the teacher is stuck and doesn't know what they would like to work on, go back to a whole group professional development that you've done and you can provide them support in that specific area so that you know that they are growing in that area and they are getting opportunities to implement that learning. That's one thing you can do. Another thing is, to make sure that you are, are following up on these workshops and sessions with peer visits where teachers get to visit each other's classrooms or watch each other's videos of their teaching so they can continue to see more of these things in action and continue to implement them. My last tip, my third tip is make sure that whenever you plan together, that whatever you have provided in terms of in-service or workshops, teachers are planning for places to put that into their plans. Because if they don't go into the plans, if all these things we do, whole group don't go into the plans, it does not happen. We know that that's true. They're not just going to suddenly remember to do it. And I have a terrible example of this. <laughs> My first year of coaching, we would get together with teachers and plan every two weeks for 90 minutes for reading and writing. And after a few months, I realized I wasn't seeing teachers. So, okay. There was a district initiative and the district initi initiative was book of the month. So every in school, every teacher in school got a copy of a book every month, a new book. It was a book that had been selected by a committee the prior year. I was just seeing these books go on their shelf and I realized they weren't using them. They weren't teaching anything with them or even reading them aloud to the kids. And I asked one of the teachers about it and she said, well, we don't plan for it. So I just stick it on the shelf. And I was like, oh my goodness. Well, why didn't you ask me? Okay. But of course they didn't say, well, when are we going to do the book of the month? They just were like, okay, I guess we just don't have to do that for whatever reason. And I realized if we don't plan for these things, it's not happening. So that's my big tip to you. Also, the third way that you can make sure teachers implement this learning into their classroom is plan for it. Make sure it's on paper somewhere and the day and time they're going to do it so that they actually have the intention and can go through with it and, and implement this learning or else everything you're doing is just spinning your wheels. <laughs> so my next steps for you today are to really think about your, um, your professional development opportunities that you do have. I know that we're coming up on a new school year if you're listening to this in real time. And so you are probably thinking about what this can look like. 
I have a blog post for you to go check out. It's about how to plan your PD calendar. And I'll put the link down here in the show notes. I really think it'll be helpful to you because planning a PD calendar means looking at all the opportunities you have for professional development and narrowing down the focus that you want teachers to walk away with. So check that post out for sure. And I also have a free um, download for you. So you can click on, if you click into the show notes, there will be a, a, at the very bottom of the show notes on my blog, there's a little place for you to enter your email address and you can grab the PD toolkit. This is a free part component of the PD toolkit that I sell on teacherspayteachers.com. So you can check out this resource and get some ideas from it. It'll give you a few, few tools that you can use to start thinking about your own professional development. And I really think you're gonna love it. Um, grab that free download. Next week, we're talking about models of pineapple PD that work. So Pineapple PD has been a really popular uh, thing that people have done, tried out in different schools, but some people have struggled to make it work. So I'm going to talk to a special guest next week about how they make it work on their campus. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.